Hey, welcome back, everyone. Turns out that scientists fabricated information about COVID-19, specifically about the lab leak theory. And guess who was behind it? Well, Dr. Anthony Fauci. Um, this is actually coming out now as we're learning that, well, the lab leak theory was assessed by both the FBI and the Department of Energy as the very likely origin of COVID-19. And it's raising some serious questions on why Fauci was involved, based on documents coming out now, in the covering up of this, you know, assessment. I'm going to be going, to, going into this a few other points, folks. Also, Trump is now saying that we should hold the Chinese Communist Party accountable for the COVID-19 virus, CCP virus. And I'm um, going to be going to that a few other stories, and I want to lay out where things are at with all this. Also, folks, you may have seen some of the new footage coming out with January 6th. Um, I'm going to do a full episode, or most of my episode on that tomorrow. I cannot cover that on YouTube. YouTube will give me a strike and block the channel. Ironically, because... You know, facts are coming out. It's ridiculous. We can't put it on YouTube, but such is life. Um, tune in tomorrow for the J6 coverage. Tucker Carlson is getting the 40,000 hour, 40,000 plus hours. And we'll, we'll be bringing on Joe Hanneman to talk about our work investigating basically what Tucker's finding right now. Um, it's a big deal because it's, it's vindicating what we were frankly already saying here. And I'll explain what that means. It's, it's actually a very, very big deal. You're watching now the narrative fall to pieces and the blame is about to flip sides. It's going to be huge, folks. Uh, don't forget to tune in tomorrow. Again, uh, we'll cover we'll cover that in depth. That said, folks, I want to go deep into the lab leak theory today, what's happening with this Fauci's involvement, why it matters that the FBI and DOE are now assessing that, that the lab leak theory is the most plausible origin of COVID-19. Uh, it's a big deal, folks. And I'll, I'll be explaining why. Uh, that said, those of you on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, Rumble, join us on Epoch TV. There's a lot of stuff I cannot talk about on YouTube. I don't self-censor, but um, I, I, I do the sensitive topics after the jump to uh, Epoch TV because YouTube will and has given me strikes for it in the past. And so if you want the extra, extra spicy crossroads show, join us on Epoch TV. Uh, I also do the live Q&A there, so uh, don't miss it. All right, folks, that's us. Jump into the first story. This is Zero Hedge, and it's not just them that, that have covered this. Most outlets have covered it by now. But Dr. Anthony Fauci, it turns out now that he prompted scientists to fabricate the Proximal Origins paper, which claimed that COVID-19 did not come from a lab leak. If you remember out, if you remember, basically, ironically, because partly my documentary, the lab leak theory was front and center. The lab leak theory was the most plausible. The lab leak theory, when you take all the different evidence and you put it all on the table, the lab leak theory is the most plausible, has the most evidence around it, and is the only one that stands against scrutiny. Look, let, let me lay it out, folks. Let me lay it out. Did any of you play that game when you were kids called Guess Who? Remember that game? We have like little cards and they have like pictures of people's faces and it's like a mystery deduction game, right? Does your guy wear glasses? Does your guy have a toupee? You know, that kind of thing. And you put down the cards as you call them out. Eventually, what you do is process of elimination. You look at all the different possibilities and you're left with just a few options and you have to try to guess who done it, right? That, that's the game. 
We're playing guess who with COVID-19. We're playing that game of who done it with COVID-19. I'll tell you right now, those little cards of possibilities, uh, you know, was it the pangolin? Was it was it uh, bat soup? Was it the Huanan seafood market? Was it this? Was it that? Those little cards are almost all down. And one of the only cards that has not been put down is lab leak. Process of elimination. They've tried, they've tried proving everything as a possible origin other than the lab leak, and that's the only one that's really still standing. Process of elimination, folks. They, they tried proving everything else, and nothing held the light of day. But aside from that, you can watch my documentary, um, you know, again, looking into the origin of the virus, uh, where we, of course, show the evidence on that. And remember, we did that actually like three years ago, almost today. In fact, I filmed, I filmed the interviews for that at CPAC three years ago. But ancient history, folks, let's talk about where things are at right now. It turns out Dr. Anthony Fauci helped crush that narrative, and he did it by helping fabricate information. Let me show you this. Zero Hedge says this, Dr. Anthony Fauci, who offshored banned gain-of-function research to make bat coronaviruses more transmissible to humans, has been accused by congressional investigators of having prompted the fabrication of a paper by a cadre of scientists aimed at disproving the COVID-19 lab leak theory. On February 1st, 2020, Fauci and his boss, NIH Director Dr. Francis Collins, and at least at least 11 other scientists participated in a conference call during which several of them warned that COVID-19 may have leaked from a lab in Wuhan, China. We actually have heard the transcripts of this, and that's what they were saying privately. So they're talking privately. They're acknowledging that was likely the origin. Then what did they do? They go publicly and say the exact opposite. And then they uh, contract this fake report to try to prove things that go against what they privately were stating. That the lab leak theory was plausible. That the lab leak theory was the most likely, in fact. But here we are now. It says, three days after the call, four participants from the call, Scripps Research uh, virologist Kristen Anderson, University of Cindy virologist Edward Holmes, Tulane School of Medicine virologist Robert Gary, University of Edinburgh virologist Andrew Rambout, and Columbia University virologist Ian Lipkin, seemingly discarded their concerns over a lab leak, went against their internal assessments that they were stating in these now available documents showing what they actually believe, went against all of that, and drafted the proximal origin of SARS-CoV-2 paper, which they sent to Fauci and Collins. And it notes, also heavily involved, yet not credited, was Dr. Jeremy Farrar, the current chief scientist at the World Health Organization. It says, as a related aside, the Washington Examiner revealed last week that the two, that two authors of the Proximal Origin, who initially expressed concerns over a lab leak and then changed their tune, that's Anderson and Gary, received millions of dollars in NIH grants under Fauci. Now, according to the House Select Committee on the Coronavirus Pandemic, Fauci, quote, prompted, prompted the creation of the, uh, sorry, prompted the creation of the paper, which is the, um, again, the one we've been discussing. It says, quote, new evidence released by the Select Committee 
A subcommittee today suggests that Dr. Fauci prompted the drafting of a publication that would disprove the lab leak theory. The authors of this paper skewed available evidence to achieve that goal, and Dr. Jeremy Farrar went uncredited despite significant involvement. They hid his involvement. And it notes further in. So for those following the passing ball, let's follow this. The U.S. was doing risky gain-of-function research on U.S. soil until 2014 when the Obama administration banned it. Then what happened? Four months before the ban, Dr. Fauci offshored it to Wuhan, where the virus origin is suspected, against where the Wuhan Institute of Virology is. Fauci offshored it to Wuhan, China, through New York nonprofit EcoHealth Alliance. I should note, they claim they were not doing gain-of-function research, in fact, even publicly testifying and possibly lying under oath. We'll see if it ever comes out. Possibly lying under oath, because the argument was, we weren't doing gain-of-function research. We were merely doing research to add functions to make viruses gain new functions. That's not gain-of-function research. Rather than, in their papers, rather than state, you know, conduct gain-of-function research, they described the process of what would constitute gain of function and then claimed that it was not gain of function because they never used the term. Uh, it's ridiculous arguments in my opinion. But it says after SARS-CoV-2 broke out down, down the street from the Wuhan Institute of Virology, remember that bat, that seafood market was just down the street from him, Fauci engaged in a massive campaign to deny the possibility of a lab leak from the lab that he funded and instead pin the blame on a yet-to-be-discovered zoonotic intermediary species. If there was an intermediary species, folks, what was it? Was it the pangolin? Now that was already disproven. Was it bat soup? No. We don't know. Again, it's a little guess-who thing. All the cards are down and only one remains standing up. And here we are now. Uh, over three years later, without any clear answers, other than the fact that they fabricated information, altered evidence, and then stated things publicly which went against what they were saying privately. I should note as well, um, when it comes to my research on this, of course, remember that, I mean, hey, we're all vindicated now. Um, of course, they censored the documentary. Facebook, um, in fact, even banned it and then sent alerts to every single person who shared it. Probably many of you here uh, who were around at that time. Every person who shared it and told them they were sharing fake news. They even, get this, they even censored the image of the documentary to, to promote it. And it was, it was literally my face and the title. And they said it was sexually explicit or sexually suggestive, and they used that to censor even the promotion of the documentary. Of course, by that time, over 150 million people roughly had seen it, and so it was very hard for them to censor. Um, we, it was, of course, on multiple channels. Facebook was the largest audience of that. Uh, but everything that documentary has since been proven true. I don't, I don't think there's anything in it that was really debunked, uh, even though they claimed it was. One of the ironic things, um, one of the really ironic things about that virus documentary, The Origin, uh, was that the initial fact check of it that, you know, Facebook cited was from somebody who actually had formerly worked at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And the argument of it was this, right? The argument of why they censored it 
was that the lady said there th this is implausible there's no possible way a virus could have leaked out from this laboratory because the laboratory has very good safety protocols that was the logic used to disprove the documentary and the lab leak theory there, the, the standards of quality were just too dang high in china um, which even public images disprove because there's like really basic safety violations even in their public propaganda uh, images uh, for example like uh, heavy frost on their freezers which makes it so the freezers can't seal properly which they're like storing you know deadly pathogen and wild stuff like this folks but here we are here we are folks uh, re what roughly three years later almost three years later vindicated so thank you all for being here let's go deeper into this though Trump is now bringing it out again that we should hold the Chinese Communist Party accountable. If you remember at that time when one of the big narratives coming out, when the lab leak and Wuhan Institute of Virology, even the Wuhan, the Wuhan seafood market, which was the wet market they were talking about, when the CCP told the world there was no human-to-human -human transmission and told the world, don't worry, don't lock down, we have it all under control, and then they locked down travel in China but allowed travel outside of China, thereby seeding the virus to every corner of the world, when they did that, many countries, the United States, Australia, different parts of Europe, many countries, India, began calling for investigations into the virus origin, and there was public discussion about holding the Chinese Communist Party accountable, making them even pay reparations. Trump is bringing that narrative out again. Remember, the CCP shut that down by attacking doctors, attacking scientists, attacking journalists, um, even, even sanctioning, in fact, U.S. officials, as you remember, and even threatening other countries with trade, you know, trade depth, uh, sorry, trade war type policies, including going after Australia. The CCP shut down the discussion. They shut down inquiry. And many different, even scientific publications, even took back research they had previously published. Information that was available became unavailable. Scientists who previously stated China was the origin began issuing public apologies saying, we're sorry for being racist. Uh, and they even claimed it was racist to suggest the virus origin. Uh, Journal Nature, for example, other other publications, for example, even many public officials, for example, began repealing their statements, repealing scientific research because they said the facts were racist. In fact, I was even going back and watching some older Crossroads videos, trying to kind of recount where we were at that time. And I, I, I didn't realize, I forgot that actually they even, they were even giving, uh, they were even censoring me on YouTube at that time. In fact, one of the first times I think YouTube demonetized me uh, was because they said that I was spreading hateful rhetoric. And the hateful rhetoric I was spreading, you know, quote unquote, was that the virus came from China. Because I was talking about my research and talking about the documentary and the possible origin of COVID-19 from a lab in China. Aside from that, even talking about the Hunan seafood market became racist. They demonetized me for stating this, even though now it has been proven true. Even though now this is the you know, public assessment. But Trump's now talking about bringing it back to where it was before. And he's now saying this. This is Truth Social. He said, the world has finally woken up to the truth about the Wuhan virus. Now it's time to hold China to account. And Trump actually published an op-ed in the Daily Mail, 
where he outlines his arguments with this. Let me show you a bit of what Trump published in the Daily Mail. Um, it's actually, actually interesting. I don't think I've seen him do many op-eds like this. But he says, Three years ago, I declared that COVID-19 almost certainly came from the Chinese Wuhan lab. Now the world is finally admitting the truth. Remember that time Trump actually did state that. Trump said that he was told privately it was the assessment of the different intelligence agencies that COVID-19 came from a laboratory in China. That was the internal assessment. He said there was evidence of this. It was never released publicly. He says this, now the world is finally admitting the truth. The cover-up of COVID-19's origins is one of the greatest scandals in the history of the world. Millions of people all over the planet have died from the China virus. Remember, it was called the China virus at first. The cost of the outbreak and the lying about its origins is incalculable. Some say in excess of $50 trillion. Now it's time to hold China and the corrupt forces who have facilitated this, this colossal suppression of facts accountable for the damage that they have inflicted upon all of humanity. He says, according to recent reports, the U.S. Department of Energy has concluded a, a Wuhan lab leak is the likely cause of the pandemic. The FBI reached the same conclusion. I reached the same conclusion as well. And it says the facts are now plain for all to see. The entire globalist establishment, from the World Health Organization to the media to Anthony Fauci and the public health authorities to the corrupt Silicon Valley tech giants to Joe Biden, worked relentlessly to silence, censor, and shut down any suggestion that the so-called lab leak theory could be true. I'll tell you right now, big question is going to be why. Why did each of these people, each of these organizations, have it in their interest to suppress the truth? That, that, that's going to be the big thousand-dollar question right there. Maybe well, maybe million-dollar question. Maybe, maybe $50 trillion question right there, because uh, someone's going to have to pay for it. Why did they suppress the truth? Why was Fauci privately discussing with these scientists, and these scientists privately stated their opinion that the lab leak theory was the very likely accurate theory, and then they go directly from stating privately their assessment, and then publicly, immediately after that, write something totally opposite of what they privately assessed. Why would they do that? Why would intelligence agencies not make public their assessment until just now, in fact? Why did the FBI state that they had assessed this for years and they had not, tell, they had not told people? Why was it that Trump was called a conspiracy theorist and a racist for stating what many people, again, were stating privately? What intelligence agencies were stating privately? What people knew privately is the most likely, you know, again, fact. Why did they hide it? Well, I think that's something we need to find out. It says this. Scientists who called for transparency and investigation were attacked. Facebook and Twitter labeled posts related to the, to the theory as disinformation. The media mercilessly ridiculed the idea. When Joe Biden came into office, he shut down the investigation. This is Trump stating this. My administration had launched into the origins of the China virus. We all know the real reason for these censorship campaigns. The lab leak did not serve their political agendas. So they did the Chinese Communist Party's dirty work and effectively imposed China's propaganda on the Western world. And Trump's saying that there must now be a reckoning. I mean, I was, 
I don't like playing the victimhood card, but I was technically a victim of that as well. You know, I you have, you have no idea how much I was attacked for that documentary. Oh my gosh. A part of my life I would not like to relive, I'll tell you that. Um, you know, think of it, 150 million people saw it. Maybe one out of a thousand people hated me for it. <laughs> Such is life, right? Uh, g given, I have no regrets. I'd do it again. Uh, but further in, it's, uh, Trump says this, The sinister censorship regimes in the United States and throughout the West must be dismantled and destroyed. He said the scandal is the best possible reminder of why we must have free speech. The World Health Organization must also be held to account. The WHO, which effectively did China's bidding, fully endorsed the natural origin theory, failed to conduct a thorough inquiry into the possibility that the virus came from a lab and covered up for China at every turn. Um, Trump actually goes a lot further, but I won't go. I won't read the whole thing. But you get the idea. The important part of it is this, that Trump's going to be campaigning on this and many other issues. This is going to be something that actually benefits him politically, especially as more information comes out. Yeah, thanks for the support, folks. I'm reading your comments. Hey, I, I know a lot of you were censored as well. Um, I'd, I'd imagine a lot of you probably got kicked off of Facebook for like sharing the documentary, even talking about these, these facts as well. I've seen a lot of people who got affected by that also. So, you know, we're all, we're all in it together, right? We're all in this together. Uh, it is nice to be vindicated, though. Uh, it is nice to be shown, although it took three years, that, you know, it, it worked out, right? Now, let me show you something else. Biden was actually questioned about this, about the, you know, COVID-19 virus origin. In fact, by one of our own journalists. And this is what happened. Biden walked away from the question. Epic Times reports days after FBI Director Christopher Wray said the origin of the COVID-19 pandemic is the most likely or most likely potential lab leak in, sorry, is most likely a potential lab incident in Wuhan, right? That was Christopher Wray, FBI Director. President Joe Biden abruptly walked away from the White House press corps when asked about whether he intends to hold China accountable. On March 3rd, the president approached the waiting press corps on his way to the White House residence to Marine One. As he came with, with an earshot, a reporter asked him, On COVID origin, will you hold China accountable? And at the question, Biden put both hands up in a shrug, seemingly annoyed, and then turned and walked away toward Marine One. And that's the direct quote, in fact, from the White House press pool report. Looks like he doesn't want to talk about it. It looks like he's very unhappy that he was even asked this. That being said now, the WHO is stepping in. The same WHO which helped cover up for China. The same WHO which could not demonstrate its independence even from the Chinese Communist Party, which is basically, again, based on the former assessment of the White House, an extension of the Chinese Communist Party under the illusion of being under the uh, United Nations, just a glorified branch of the CCP here. The WHO is now urging countries to reveal intelligence on COVID origins after the FBI director's statements. Why does this matter, folks? It's because what the WHO is really doing here, at least in my assessment, is asking the Chinese Communist Party to release its own fabricated evidence because the CCP is claiming the U.S. military brought the virus to China. This is the WHO trying to do a cover-up as far as I'm concerned. And unless the Biden administration says, you know, Mr. 
Unless Biden says Mr. Christopher Ray released that information, uh, it's not going to come out. And what does that mean if they don't release the information? It means that China and other countries like the CCP that have been, again, having their own agenda with this are going to dominate the narrative. This is as the World Health Organization is being at least possibly given uh, these new pandemic uh, powers through the Biden administration and through the United Nations. Through again the people and the countries involved, uh, you know, with the WHO. But it says this: Epoch Times reports, and another narrative shift on the origins of the COVID-19 pandemic. The World Health Organization asked governments with intelligence on the virus to come forward, after a growing number of U.S. officials signaled that it may have resulted from a Chinese lab leak. And they said, "Quote: This is Tedro saying it, the director of WHO." If any country has information about the origins of the pandemic, it's essential that the that for that information to be shared with WHO and the international scientific community. Now, I'm going to say right now, the WHO probably has more than enough evidence because the WHO was trying to assess the origins for a good while. The WHO was doing investigations. And the WHO has been repeatedly disingenuous and dishonest to the public about this basic basic information that should have been the very first step taken to try to deal with the pandemic. Under any normal circumstance, if this was a normal pandemic, the very, very, very first thing you would do is try to find the animal reservoir. The very first thing you do is look into where the virus came from. The very first thing you do would be to do that because you need to plug the hole. It's like it's like a sinking ship ship is sinking and you tell people uh you know uh, better just deal you know maybe you create different policies and how to deal with it rather than trying to find where the hole is and plugging the hole so the ship doesn't sink rather than try to end the pandemic in other words rather than try to patch that little hole the world health organization covered up on behalf of the chinese communist party and to this day has no real public information on where the virus came from to this day has not even tried, it seems, to talk about the origin of the virus, to plug that hole and basically put an end, at least, you know, help stop it, uh, the release and spread of this virus. In other words, the very basic first step you would take to try to deal with the virus and stop it, this organization that's claiming to be the main authority on this has not taken. They've not done this. And again, the important part with this is that who's going to come forward? Which country is going to come forward? The World Health Organization is giving a public announcement. Come forward if you have evidence. Who's going to come forward? Is Biden going to come forward? Is Christopher Ray going to come forward? Well, it looks like Biden walked away from that question. And he's trying to work with the World Health Organization, which, again, could not demonstrate its independence from the Chinese Communist Party, meaning he doesn't want to anger the CCP very likely on this. Who's going to come forward? I'll tell you right now, the only country that has it really, really in its interest to come forward is the Chinese Communist Party. And if Biden doesn't publicly challenge whatever they're going to hand over the WHO, if he doesn't challenge that, the CCP is going to dominate the narrative. Now, a bit more on this, folks. The irony with all this is that it's becoming a partisan issue. And this is really one of the main reasons why, at least some organizations are saying, they actually crushed the narrative. Uh, Mr. Zucker, the former head of CNN, or one of them, 
came out and said the reason that they crushed the narrative, the reason that CNN said the lab leak origin is, is you know, groundless conspiracy theory, the reason they did that, I'm paraphrasing, of course, is because the, it, the narrative came from Donald Trump and they didn't want to vindicate Donald Trump. They didn't want, you know, the, the former president of the United States, Donald Trump, came out and said, you know, U.S. intelligence says it was a lab leak. U.S. intelligence at the time, as Trump stated publicly, right, U.S. intelligence said it very likely came from a laboratory in China, you know, in Wuhan. And all the different news outlets, including CNN, said it was a conspiracy theory. They said it was fake and it was racist and they covered it up. And they're claiming they did it now because they didn't want Trump to be vindicated. Now, who's spreading disinformation? Who's spreading politicized disinformation? Who should have been censored, frankly? Well, not the people who actually talked about the real virus origin. I'd say it's the people who covered things up because it went against their political interest to state the truth. And a former New York Times science editor is saying this, that COVID origins became a political and left-leaning side of media. It became political, and because of that, the left-leaning side of media ignored the lab leak. It says, during a portion of an interview set to air on Sunday's broadcast of the Fox News Channel's Life, Liberty, and Levin that was released on Friday, author and former New York Times science editor Nicholas Wade stated that the issue of the origin of COVID-19 became political and Democrats opposed the lab leak theory while Republicans supported it and the Democrat-leaning side of the media wasn't really interested in the lab leak theory. Wade said, quote, The cause of the problem, I think, is that for reasons that I don't really don't understand, the issues became politic. The issues become politicized. Now, he's saying it was censored because of politics. I'd say it was probably censored because of politics, corruption, bad you know bad financial deals, and because of international political interests where they didn't want to call out the Chinese Communist Party, and then also political correctness where organizations didn't want to be called racist. That's what I would say it was. And also because I think they wanted to use it politically, which they did, to alter America's election laws. Now, folks, um, I want to jump into, I want to jump over to Epoch TV for the rest of this, but I want to go to Project Fear. That's a new book in the UK. And it has something very interesting, which is UK officials talking about how they were going to deploy the new variant and how it would scare the pants off people and how they were planning to use that fear, right? Scare the pants off people. When are we going to deploy the new variant? Using that fear as a political tool. And the reason it matters in the UK is because the same thing happened right here in the United States. Uh, we're going to go into that in a minute, folks, on Epoch TV. That's, it's, it's that, I think, believe over 10,000 text messages that have been released now in the UK uh, showing how this whole program worked. Before we jump over, though, folks, let me show you a quick interview or a quick trailer for an interview on Epoch TV. This is um, American thought leaders talking about the deadly consequences of censorship and the need for COVID commissions. Let me show you this and we'll jump over. I was actually placed on the blacklist the very day I joined Twitter. Today I sit down with Dr. Jay Bhattacharya, professor of health policy at Stanford University School of Medicine and one of the co-authors of the Great Barrington Declaration that argued for focused protection of the vulnerable instead of large-scale lockdowns. Many people that are dead today would be alive had we been allowed to make that argument. 
We discuss how big tech, his university, and the highest levels of the federal bureaucracy work to silence him and other scientists. After years of destructive pandemic policies, what is the path forward? And where we are now, when there's another respiratory virus pandemic, we will lock down again. And we will use the vaccine-only strategy. This is American Thought Leaders, and I'm Yanya Kelly. Remember, folks, the vaccine mandates, the lockdowns, the mask mandates, that was the Chinese Communist Party's model. And if you want to take my personal assessment, the reason the countries didn't want to call it the CCP was because it would have shown that the, the Chinese Communist Party model was not effective. And what they needed politically as a tool, lockdowns, mask mandates, emergency, de- emergency orders, all the whole nine yards, What they needed was the Chinese Communist Party model because they used that politically. And the next segment we're going to go into, I think, shows some evidence on that, how they talked about privately deploying the next variant, scaring the pants off people, and how they wanted to use this politically. Folks, let's jump over to Epoch TV, then we'll go into this. Folks, thank you for being here. Um, Let's talk about this now. This is as Project Fear authors discussed when to deploy new COVID variant. This is a news outlet in the UK said this. It says Matt Hancock wanted to deploy a new COVID variant to frighten the pants off the public. That's the exact quote. Frighten the pants off the public to ensure they co- they complied with lockdown leaked messages seen by the Telegraph have revealed. They intentionally wanted to scare people. They were talking about deploying a new variant, in order to scare people into compliance. It says the lockdown files, more than 100,000, sorry, not 10,000, 100,000 WhatsApp messages sent between ministers, officials, and others show how the government used scare tactics to force compliance and push, uh, push through lockdowns. And another message, Simon Case, the cabinet secretary, remember this is in the UK, said that the fear slash guilt factor was vital. Fear and guilt is vital, folks. You get that? And, quote, ramping up messaging during the third national lockdown in January 2021. The previous month, Matt Hancock and then health secretary appeared to suggest in one message that a new strain of COVID that had recently emerged would be helpful in preparing the ground for the looming lockdown by scaring people into compliance. In a WhatsApp conversation on December 13th obtained by The Telegraph, Damon Poole, one of Mr. Hancock's media advisors, informed his boss that Tory MPs, um, members of Parliament, Tory, the Tory party in the UK, were, quote, furious about, uh, already about the prospect of strict COVID measures and suggested, quote, we can roll pitch with the new strain. The comment suggested that they believe the strain could be helpful in preparing the ground for a future lockdown and tougher restrictions in the run-up to Christmas of 2020. Mr. Hancock then replied, quote, We frightened the pants off everyone with the new strain. And Mr. Poole agreed, stating, Yep, that's, why, that's what will get proper behavior change. Get that, folks? Deploy the new variant, get people to get people afraid, scare them into compliance, and that will get the proper behavior change. 
What is the proper behavior change? What is the new variant they were quote-unquote deploying? Take it for what it is. Right? Bizarre stuff. Um, I'm just reading a small segment of it. Again, it's a, we have a, over 100,000 messages. Uh, but it's this is making some big waves in the UK, and I think should be making waves here, ironically. I mean, it's interesting. It's not getting much coverage, in my opinion. Uh, but it's a big deal. Now, remember, you saw similar statements right here in the United States. You had, you had officials publicly stating, uh, mostly Democrats, about how they would never, how you should not let a good crisis go to waste. Never let a crisis go to waste. If people are dying, if people were, you know, if they were, they were assessing millions of people were going to die, if they said, you go out and say, you're going to kill grandma, why would you say you want to use that politically? Why would you say never let a crisis go to waste? Why would, why would they do something like that? Remember, that's even the basis of Klaus Schwab's book, talking about COVID-19 and the Great Reset, the idea that this is an opportunity to reshape the world. Never let a good crisis go to waste. I believe, Wiz for Jesus, you're asking who said that. I believe that was, I believe it was Pelosi. I have to remember correctly. I believe she was one of many officials who talked about that. But I believe Pelosi said that. Yeah, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty sure. And we saw them do it. We saw them use it to remake election laws across the United States. We saw them use it to get universal mail-in ballots. We saw them use it for all kinds of things. And then what else did they do? What else did they do? While people were locked down during, during the actual lockdowns. Yeah, that was Pelosi and others. Was it, was it Hillary too? So we're saying Hillary. Yeah, it's freaky. Remember, folks, during the lockdowns, what happened when we were like when we were actually locked in our homes? And even at the time, you know, I was concerned. I, I didn't know we were up against. I was watching videos from China, people dropping dead on the street and so on. I, I was I was concerned. Remember what happened during that time? We were locked down. You had to wait in long lines to get your groceries. It was like a post-apocalypse kind of feel. I, I mean, I don't know where you were all at, but I, I was in New York at that time. And New York was like, like, it looked like something out of a zombie movie. There was like nobody on the streets. And then you'd see lines in front of the clinics. And you'd see lines in front of the grocery stores. You had to wait for like an hour, two hours to get your groceries because they had limited access. It was hard to get food. Remember, there's toilet paper shortages. Do you, do you all remember that? Do you remember what happened during that time? When they said, social distancing, it's a danger. You know, Don't go outside, you'll kill grandma and all that stuff. They allowed for mass uh, Black Lives Matter protests. They let people go out on the street, violate the lockdowns, violate social distancing rules, violate even mask mandates. They let them do that. And they said, that's okay, because social justice is more important than public safety. This is, this is, this is a public interest. And they let these mass protests take place that violated the entire basis of the lockdowns. That if, if they actually were legitimately concerned about people getting infected with the virus. So let's put let's put politics on on the shelf, right? If they were legitimately concerned that people were going to spread the virus, contract the virus and die, because that's why they were locking us down in our homes. Why would they let people violate all of those policies in a concentrated way where you had people shoulder to shoulder protesting on the street? If they had actually assessed that that kind of behavior would lead to death, 
that would have meant that they were putting these people in harm's way. That would have meant that they were basically violating what they knew to be public knowledge and allowed people to commit actions that they believed would kill them. But they let them do it anyway. They let them do it anyway because they believed it was politically useful. Because it was, again, you know, uh, again, the policy of the, of the new left, this uh, social justice agenda, that was more important than the virus. That was more important than any of that. If, again, if they actually believed it was a public threat, that, that could have been called genocide. That could have been called, you know, gross negligence. That could have been called basically letting people go and do a super spreader event and kill themselves. And meanwhile, people couldn't go to church. People couldn't, you know, visit family members, people who had, you know, a sick grandmother uh, who, you know, may, may have even contracted the virus and died because it did affect older people. People couldn't even visit their loved ones in hospitals, and people were able to go on the street and mass protest like that, violating every policy there was, and frankly destroying the entire basis of any benefit that would have come from the lockdowns. Because the two weeks to slow the spread would have been undermined by a mass spreading incident like that, which they allowed to take place, a super spreader incident, which they manufactured, if you believe the narrative. That being said, folks, we're finding a lot of information coming out now when it comes to Pfizer, the COVID-19 vaccines, and other things like this. Uh, you might remember that James O'Keefe, Project Veritas, came out with their undercover videos showing a Pfizer scientist, and it turns out he was one, uh, came out and talked about how they were looking into directed evolution, how they were looking to basically mutate uh, COVID-19 to create vaccines. And he was talking about how it's you know, very controversial to be doing this. That started debates around directed evolution, gain-of-function research, how these might differ, and whether these companies were actually doing it. Pfizer initially denied that they were doing it. You know, again, creators of one of the major shots, I don't know if you call them vaccines or not, uh, creators of one of these major shots, and they, they basically denied they were doing it. But then if you read between the lines of their letter, which I went over the time on the show, you might remember that Pfizer, what it actually stated after denying they do it, was that they work, excuse me, they work through intermediaries, they work through third parties to do this type of research. In other words, they don't do it, but they work with people who do it for them. That's what they stated. And then they said, everybody does it. A very strange narrative, right? We don't do it, but everybody does it. We don't do it, but we work with people who do it. I didn't commit the crime. I merely was there and as an accessory to the crime. <laughs> if if you if you let's put this put them basic criminal logic. If you were involved in a crime, if if you if you were with a friend and the friend broke into somebody's home and your friend robbed someone or even killed someone, and you were there like holding the flashlight. You are going to get charged as an accessory. You are equally guilty under law. And so if you're violating the law, if you're doing things unethical, if you are an accessory to a crime or an accessory to something that may have even caused problems like we're seeing now, you are equally liable. And they, these organizations are saying, we're not responsible. We merely work with people who do it. And by the way, everybody does it. Now, James O'Keefe, again at Project 
Veritas made that video public, showed a lot of the evidence with that, and we really were making waves. And then there was what looked like a coup inside Project Veritas. Take, I, I, I've heard both sides, you know. They pushed James O'Keefe out, and people are wondering about the future of Project Veritas now. James O'Keefe made his reappearance at CPAC. Actually, I was, I was actually backstage with him. He, um, in fact, James went on stage right before I went on stage uh, because I, I did a panel I did, I did a panel uh, at CPAC, uh, actually on Saturday, same day, same day that Trump spoke, actually. I, I did my panel there where I was moderating a discussion about COVID-19, virus origins, and va you know, vaccine safety, and that type of thing. And so I got to speak with James a bit. But James went on stage, and James made a big announcement. Well, first of all, he's going independent. He's starting his own new, his own new organization. But then he brought out a Pfizer whistleblower, and he's suggesting that this Pfizer whistleblower is going to be revealing some new information for us. Let me play you this video. This is um, Tristan Walker. She was one of the people who helped expose Pfizer. I'll play this for you. I've learned a lot of things over the last month. Having been ousted from the company I founded 13 years ago, mere days after the story. Oh, sorry. And as this was happening, I was talking to one of these people. And she was a little reluctant to go public, rightfully so. She was scared. It didn't, it didn't feel right. But after what I went through, we reconnected. The individual who helped identify this man, who helped bring this to light, who was targeted, who was brought into a room, interrogated, who had a red van go to her home, harass her and her loved ones, who was scared for her life, was so inspired by the series of events that have occurred over the last three weeks that she's decided to go public with me on the stage right now. Debbie from Pfizer, would you please come out here? I was worried that I would end up in a body bag or in a car accident. But um, I realized that the spirit of fear is not from the Lord. As a believer, I knew that I couldn't just sit there. I couldn't just sit there and watch people get lied to. People get gaslit. It made me angry. I think we all need to learn to not be fearful. All right, folks, a uh, real quick uh, correction. So the woman is Debbie Bernal. Uh, Tristan Walker was the individual she helped expose. But, you know, we'll see what happens. Uh, James O'Keefe is coming out now. He's working on creating a new organization. We'll see what the future of, um, of what Project Veritas is. Uh, but again, we're seeing a lot of truth come out now. And we're seeing that a lot of what we were told previously was not true. So interesting time we're in. That being said, folks, the conversation um, the conversation switching a bit, a bit on quite a few different areas. And this is actually, interestingly, going to be causing a lot of problems for the World Health Organization, even for where the Biden administration is heading with it. Remember one of the big things happening right now. There's discussions about the pandemic accord. The Biden administration is looking to give the World Health Organization powers over different nations to declare pandemics and recommend policies on how to address the pandemics. This means that the, the World Health Organization, which cannot demonstrate its independence from the CCP, is going to be given control 
over policies to an extent of different countries in the world, including right here in the United States. And that means by extension, the Chinese Communist Party, given the fact that the World Health Organization could not show its independence from it, the Chinese Communist Party is going to be able to dictate public policy in other countries, including in America. And one important thing with this is they're saying, they're saying it's about public health incidents, public health crises, folks. Public health has been redefined, and they're acknowledging this now. Public health is race relations. Public health is gun violence. Public health is hate speech. Public health is trans access. Public health is abortion. Public health is every single thing that affects your life or my life. Public health has been expanded to global warming. Public health has expanded to uh, schools, to you know, equity, to, to socialism. Public health is everything because they're saying everything is a threat to your health, to your well-being in one way or another. And this means the World Health Organization is going to have some degree of control over all these things. They're saying gun violence in America is a public health crisis. What's going to happen when the CCP has the potential to manage gun policy in America, right? Let me show you this. It says, U.S. committed to WHO pandemic accord, according to an ambassador. The, Ob the Biden administration, maybe it's still the Obama administration. The Biden administration is committed to this. This is not going to be like the U.S. government decides not to sign on to it. The Biden administration is helping lead this initiative. It says, the lead negotiator representing the United States in discussion on a global pandemic accord said in a statement this week that the United States is committed to the accord amid debate on the draft document. Leaders are meeting this week in Geneva as part of the fourth meeting of the Intergovernmental Negotiating Bureau to consider a zero draft or agreement. I'm sorry, a zero draft of agreement. The INB, the Intergovernmental Negotiating Bureau, was set up by the World, uh, World Health Assembly in December of 2021 to, quote, draft and negotiate a convention agreement of, or other international inst instrument under the Constitution of the World Health Organization to strengthen pandemic prevention, preparedness, and response. The first draft was released this month and is, and is being debated during this week's meeting and will be continuing in April. The INB will issue a report on the development of the of the accord at the WHA, the World World Health Organ, sorry, the uh, World Health Assembly, in May, with a final report expected in 2024. So it's a bit a ways off still. It says on the agenda this week is to decide whether the draft will be the basis of negotiations for a pandemic accord and discuss the document in depth. The U.S. pandemic negotiator for the proposed accord. Ambassador Pamela Hamamoto said this week that the United States is committed to forming the accord as part of a major component of the global health architecture for generations to come. And further in its states, she added the United States would like to would like to see a focus on equity. You hear me right, folks? World Health Organization pandemics and the talking about equity equality of outcome, socialism. Because they're saying the lack of socialism, apparently, is a public health crisis. The United States would, select, would like to see a focus on equity 
across the draft to be, quote, inclusive and applicable to the improved health and well-being of all people, not only between countries, but also, quote, within them. And, quote, not just protecting populations from pandemics. And this is a direct quote. This is, this is what they actually state. Not just protecting populations from pandemics, but also from illness, death, and disrupted access to, to essential health care services during pandemics, including sexual and reproductive health. She said in, in a February 27th letter. Now, there are many things that could lead to death, illness, disrupted access to health care. Again, folks, cars, gas, pollution, gas stoves, guns, uh, racial, racial violence, lack of inclusiveness, uh, trans risk of suicide, which is why they want to have kids be able to get it without talking to their parents. Yeah, and reproductive health services, i.e. abortion. The list goes on and on and on of all the things this could and very likely will encompass. This is not just about viruses, which is the way, you know, we, even that would be a big deal. This is not just about viruses. This is every single thing that they claim affects public health. And they've broadened the debate on public health so much that it includes just about anything. Anything that, anything that global warming, or sorry, what do they call it now? Climate change touches, right? We're supposed to be underwater by now. Remember that. Anything that climate change touches, anything that impacts public health, anything within the Agenda 2030 initiative of the 17 Sustainable Development Goals of the United Nations, anything it touches, food access, education, anything, they could say affects your health. And they want to have equity is something that is throughout this entire thing. Equity is just a big fancy way of saying socialism. Equality of outcome. No matter the effort you put in, you get the same results in the end, and they're doing it based on race. And that said, public health experts are now weighing in on the WHO pandemic, and there's growing support, as there's growing support for the lab leak theory. Because, folks, what this means is this. That big, the information coming out on the lab leak theory, the idea that the COVID-19 virus came from a lab in Wuhan, China, that the World Health Organization covered this up, worked on behalf of the CCP, lied to the world about a pandemic, and still somehow has the credibility to be able to manage our pandemics. This thing is throwing a giant wrench in their machine. The facts coming out now are damaging the integrity and the credibility of the World Health Organization, and is showing the lack of independence and the lack of basic honesty of the organization. It is messing them up at the perfect time, in fact. And there are people who are going to be using this politically, including Donald Trump, as he campaigns for 2024. But people are not talking about this. Epic Times reports, the World Health Organization has come under renewed scrutiny in recent days over its handling of the COVID-19 pandemic and its plans for addressing pandemics in the future. This week, the World Health Assembly, the WHO's decision-making body, began considering new ways to govern international responses to disease outbreaks. Yeah, we saw how well they did last time, right? An early stage draft before the assembly includes both binding and non-binding language regarding how nations handle disease outbreaks internally, as well as how they coordinate with international partners. Article 15 
The draft document specifically describes the WHO as the, quote, directing and coordinating authority on international health work. and says WHO's director general, Tedros, shall be the one to declare pandemics. He has unilateral power to declare pandemics. Tedros can do this despite, regardless of public information, regardless of scientific research, regardless of anything. He is the global dictator in the truest sense of the word, right? The global dictator who has unilateral power, the sole authority to be able to declare pandemics in any country he wants, in any way he wants. If they get this, at least. It says the WHO's draft document also calls for... And remember, folks, this, this is an Ethiopian communist. He's an actual... He was, a, he was an actual communist, right? I'm not just saying that his name, like McCarthyist name-calling. He's an actual Ethiopian communist. It says the WHO's draft document also calls for wealthier developed nations to reserve a percentage of the diagnostic tools and disease treatments they create to share with the developing nations. This is global equity, folks. Global socialism. Some critics of the WHO's proposed International Pandemic Response Network have raised concerns that the system would require participating countries to cede a degree of their sovereignty resources, and decision-making independence to a superseding global body. And here's a quote. If the WHO funds a bureaucracy at large, a new organization, a governing board, which would presumably be under the WHO, requires countries to give a certain percentage of their health budget to emergencies and sets up a supply chain, sorry, a supply network for the WHO. That's David Bell, a public health physician and former WHO staffer uh, talking about this, right? Talking to NTD News, our sister media. And the WHO draft document says it, quote, reaffirms the sovereignty of participating nations. Yeah, it recognizes the sovereignty of nations, but with a caveat. Though the convention would require participating countries to contribute resources and funding in times of pandemics while simultaneously giving the WHO the power to declare such pandemics. You're both free and unfree. One of the arguments that we've been having since the 1700s, folks, with socialism. Uh, if you read The Law by Frederick Bastiat, going back to literally the 1700s, right? The Law by Frederick Bastiat, when the French Revolution declared uh, fraternity, liberty, equality, right? You cannot have both freedom and equality mandated by the state because you cannot be both free and unfree at the same time. You cannot tell people they're free while telling them that under state law they have to be equal, right? How does the state manage equity, manage equality of outcome? It has to seize assets from one individual, restrain one individual while propping up another. That is state intervention of the basic you know, quality of life of individuals. That if you succeed too much, if you just do too dang well, you're going to get hammered down by the state, and they're going to take part of your wealth and give it to somebody else who, frankly, didn't work for it, or didn't earn it, didn't do anything for it. Because communism works by tearing down the successful, not building up the unsuccessful. Equality is the outcome, and you cannot be both free and unfree. We've been having this discussion again for you know well over 250 years now. 
Anyways, folks, let me go a bit further in this. There are concerns, in addition to all of this, of a war with China. And as I mentioned, you know, even the, even, so let's put it this way, you know, we're talking about the World Health Organization and concerns that the Biden administration is going to hand over, hand over our sovereignty in terms of health policy to an organization that cannot demonstrate its independence from the CCB. And that has previously not only misled the world on the virus origin, on where it came from, covered up the virus origin, which, which, which should have been the first step in plugging the hole to end the pandemic. And they didn't do it because of politics and because of personal interest. They could not demonstrate that it was an independent organization from the CCP rather than just a political extension of the CCP that proposed policies that did not work in China globally, which destroyed global industry, destroyed businesses, destroyed people's lives. And they knew looking at China that they weren't working. And frankly, if you look at the death toll in China, frankly, it not only does not work, it's extremely destructive. That that organization that lied, that cheated, that misled, that caused all these problems is going to have the unilateral authority to basically dictate these policies going forward. Well, it's running into a few major problems now. As we discussed, one of them is the fact that, well, it looks like, frankly, they lied about the virus origin. And as information comes out on that, they're going to get increasing amounts of scrutiny. You're witnessing the beginning of this, not, not the middle point or not the end of this. You're watching the beginning of this shift in argument. But aside from that, there's also the issue of, th of threats from the Chinese Communist Party, that actually there's, there's a chance we could go to war with China. And so this whole discussion about this could go out the window real fast, because if we go to war with China, that's going to be over. And get this, folks, Marines right now, U.S. Marines, are training for such a war. Let me show you this. To prepare for a Pacific Island fight, Marines hide and attack in California. And it says, the unit newly created and innovative in nature was facing its toughest test yet, a 10-day mock battle across Southern California, where a series of military bases played the role of an island chain. Though outnumbered by the regime regiment it was fighting, the team from Hawaii had an edge. The team was built to fight on islands along coastal shorelines, the literal region in military par parlance. It had also been given special equipment and the freedom to innovate, developing new tactics to figure out one of the toughest, highest priorities, sorry, one of the service's highest priorities. Quote, sorry, say stating, how to fight a war against Chinese forces in their own backyard and win. They're training to fight China as we speak. The U.S. military, the Marines, they're training on how to fight a war with the CCP. And it states further in, over the next two years, the new unit will have a relentless schedule with about four or five times as many exercises as most infantry regiments. Its next big test will be the Philippines in April. And it says further in, the exercise is essentially a life-and-death version of hide-and-seek with far-flung military bases in California at Barstow, Camp Pendleton, 29 Palms, and an outpost on San Clemente Island about 70 miles offshore from San Diego. That's where I'm from, actually, San Diego. All standing in for an unnamed Pacific Island chain. 
With America's relations with China deteriorating, deteriorating over Beijing's actions, most recently due to its aggressive moves on Taiwan, its attempts to intimidate Japan, its violations of U.S. airspace with a, with a spy balloon, and its support for Russia's invasion of Ukraine. The mission of preparing for a potential future conflict in Pacific Island chains, it says, was important enough that about half a dozen generals, including the Marine Commandant, came to see the results of the exercise for themselves. And as the U.S. Marines prepare to fight the CCP, the Chinese Communist Party is increasing its military budget by quite a bit. And this is only what we know publicly. Keep in mind when it comes to the CCP's military budget, first of all, they don't state the whole thing publicly. And second of all, uh, their money goes a lot further. They, you know, it's all state-run companies and so on, and, so the, the, and they also pay people a lot less money. Their money goes a lot further. And so what our you know, multi-trillion dollar budget might buy us, they can get with a fraction. And plus, they steal our innovation as well. So they don't have to, they don't have to invest in R&D, you know, research and development and stuff like that. They just steal it. it says China, this is Daily Mail, China's increases, China increases its military budget by 7.1%. Only what we know publicly, but it's still a lot even regardless. $230 billion to, quote, boost combat preparedness for, quote, major tasks amid fears it will launch an invasion of Taiwan. It says China announced it will boost its military budget by nearly $230 billion this year amid concerns it will launch an invasion of Taiwan. The money is set to boost combat preparedness and enhance military capabilities, claimed Premier Li Keqiang, ahead of a draft budget presented to the National People's Congress in Beijing. Again, they don't publicly state ever the full picture, but even this is a big deal. It means China's military spending will grow at its fastest pace in four years and take up a large share of its economy, marking the reversal of a two-decade uh, trend which has, uh, which has seen the nation prioritize growth over its military capabilities. Defense expenditure will increase by 7.2% in 2023, which works out to $224 billion, way ahead of the 5.7% increase in general public expenditure. The move will no doubt spook the U.S. government, which is concerned by Beijing's strategic inventions, sorry, intentions in the wake of rising tensions with Taiwan. And at the same time this is happening, Russia is also making more public threats. They're warning NATO and the United States to back off or face what they say are catastrophic consequences. Says the United, this is Breitbart, the United States and NATO were warned by Russia on Thursday they face catastrophic consequences if they pursue further involvement in the Ukraine war. Russian Deputy Foreign Minister Sergei Ryabkov told the conference on disarmament in Geneva, quote, the most acute strategic threat is posed now by the U.S. and NATO policy aimed at further fomenting the conflict in and around Ukraine. He continues stating the growing involvement is an armed confrontation in an armed confrontation is fraught with a direct military clash of nuclear powers with catastrophic consequences. And as this is happening as well, uh, there's been some pretty concerning reports coming from the front lines. The Daily Beast actually spoke with some of these um, troops coming off the front lines on the Ukrainian side. And what they're saying is basically they're getting they're getting basically bombarded by Russian shellings. 
they're facing Russian troops who are, at least according to them, working as meat shield, just meat waves is the way they're a very graphic way of describing it, but meat waves, uh, where they're just throwing waves and waves and waves of human bodies, essentially, at the front lines. Um, it looks like Russia is not able to properly arm a lot of these troops. One of the big concerns is that China is going to fill that void, and they're suggesting they will, which would be a red line for the United States. And this is very much like what we saw in Stalingrad in World War II, where, you know, one troop, one, one Russian soldier gets a gun, one Russian soldier gets a magazine with some ammo in it, and told the guys with the ammo, we only have so many guns, so when your comrade next to you dies, make sure you grab his gun and pop that, pop that magazine, and you're in it. But until then, you better fight with your little shovel or, or your fists because you got nothing else. Russia's doing that to its young men, at least according to reports right now. It says, major Russian victory feared. So despite the meat wave strategy, they're believing that Russia may actually win even with this. Major Russian victory feared as soldiers deliver grim message. They say the wrath of Russia's armies in full display in Bakhmut with the majority of surviving civilians having fled the ongoing bloodbath while Ukrainian soldiers fight to save the city. Now that Vladimir Putin's forces are closing in, those who have, gone, those who have been pulled out fear what is at stake for their fellow soldiers. One soldier goes by the name of Detcom, spoke to the Daily Beast hours after leaving the terrorized Bakhmut region after months of fighting. He said this, the first two weeks was easier for their brigade. They held back the Russian infantry with ease, and he said, quote, it was pretty easy. It's true what they say in the news. These new Russian mobilized soldiers, badly trained, badly equipped, and they were sending them towards us like just waves of meat. He said this was just for the first two weeks. After that, they started using artillery and tanks. This is the place where it got ugly. Now, the big question with all of this is going to be whether, they, whether Russia gets supplied with new weapons. One of the big concerns now is that this could soon turn into an air war. Remember the reports coming out. One, China is going to start supplying very likely, um, you know, military equipment to Russia. That's a red line for the United States. We're going to get more involved if they do that. Possibly start a war with China. If China supplies Russia, that means guns. That means ammunition. That means the largest manufacturer in the world supporting the country with some of the most resources of anywhere in the world. That means they're retrofitting old Chinese jets to become suicide jets. That means air power. That means tanks. That means guns. That means bombs. That means everything else. And then Russia's going to have to give stuff to the CCP to make them more powerful as well. Probably Soviet-era technology. Because the, C the Russian regime, they, they still withhold a lot of technology from China. Uh, including, for example, how to actually build jet engines, which the, the CCP still can't do. They still buy them from Russia. That manufacturing power is going to do a lot of things. Um, this means as well, you see, for example, Iran talking about supplying Russia with jets. And you see now that Ukrainian pilots are going to the United States and they're beginning assessments on how to fly F-16s. We could soon be supplying Ukraine with jets. And the CCP and possibly Iran could soon be supplying Russia with jets. This is an escalation, in other words. Folks, we'll get more in, into this in future episodes. I want to give you a quick update on that. All right, folks, that's us. Jump into some questions. If you have questions, leave them in the chat now. 
Yeah, I saw somebody mentioning that article looked like Cope. Yeah, that was Daily Beast. They're, you know, they, they every, everyone has their bias. And so that's what they're stating. Uh, there, there are mixed reports over the actual, you know, situation on the ground. Uh, there are a lot of videos coming out, given the nature of disinformation on both sides of the aisle. It's hard to tell what's real and what's not. I'll always give you as much of an accurate assessment as I can, but keep in mind that uh, I'll tell you I'll tell you a secret of militaries, including right here in the United States, and most for most countries, um, even including again the Pentagon. A lot of the publicly stated information is fake. A lot of the publicly stated information on weapons development, on programs they're developing, on you know news articles and stuff. A lot of it is fake. And I, I know folks who work who've worked in this stuff. This it's fake. Not all of it, but a lot of it. There's always an element of strategic deception when it comes to military news. And so it's generally very hard to get an accurate picture. Some of it, sometimes they want to release strategies. It's interesting. Sometimes they'll release strategies, including in America, they'll release strategies publicly, not because they're going to do it, but because they want to watch the talking heads, folks like myself uh, and others, analyze the applicability and basically say what the loopholes are or the benefits are. They do it because they want, they want to basically crowdsource analysis on the strategies. That's one side of it. The other side is that sometimes they want to strategically mislead their adversaries or they want to just keep people on their toes. For example, sometimes they might intentionally, you know, quote unquote, leak um, weapon information uh, just in order to throw off their adversaries and make them wonder what the heck is going on. It's very common. Yeah, even the United States does it. And so just generally with military stuff, keep this in mind as if we cover anything with military stuff. Uh, real quick, folks, um, before we jump into questions, I should address, I, I made an error in a recent episode. I think I said that um, I was talking about communism and anarchy. And uh, when talking about the idea of anarchy as a communist movement, which is the idea of what they call personal anarchy to achieve intentional communism, I, said, I think I said it comes from Bernays. That was a mistake. Uh, Bernays, of course, wrote the book Propaganda and was heavily involved with like some of the ecological operation development stuff, including in America. Uh, but the individual who that came from was William Godwin. Um, I do apologize for the error. William Godwin was the father of Mary Shelley, interestingly. He was married to one of the biggest um, feminist activists of his time, Mary Shelley being the author of the book Frankenstein. Interesting note about William Godwin, Godwin he was a freaky individual. Um, he, in fact, wrote an entire book about necromancy. He, he had an obsession with necromancy. Uh, but he was also, he, he, was, he was a major atheist, and he believed in, in basically the anarcho-communist movement. Um, he wrote a book, I believe it was called Lives of the Necromancers. Um, interesting note on the history of Mary Shelley, who wrote a book, again, Frankenstein, about a reanimated corpse, right? The, the, the Prometheus, which is... Um, which was among these groups an, anal an, an analogy of uh, Lucifer, Lucifer giving knowledge through the tree, you know through the tree of life, and uh, Prometheus giving fire to humankind. And their whole weird stuff they have on this. But his his analysis on necromancy was really twisted. Note: I'm I'm not saying I believe in this. I'm just telling you that he was a twisted individual. Um, 
but he basically was trying to use the idea of necromancy to disprove the existence of the human soul because his theory was if there's no soul what is the difference between a, between a living body and a dead body and he believed that you could if you repair a body just based on materialism it should be able to reanimate and that was the analysis he had that he was trying to prove um, and his book, uh, I believe it's called Lives of the Necromancers, details historical um, di historical descriptions of necromancy and so on. Anyways, wild story, uh, but he was one of the original communists and, um, again, was from the anarcho-communist school, uh, which believed in, again, personal anarchy to achieve intentional communism. Uh, you can watch my series on communism where I talk about some of these things. So, folks, these were some freaky individuals. If you really get into like the original texts of communism, these people had issues like you would not believe. They were deeply into the occult, like the real dark cult, almost all of them. Uh, they were into Satanism. They were into necromancy. They were into like really deranged and twisted sexual theories. Um, in fact, the guy who started the even who even coined the term communism, he was in the Circle Social, uh, which was one of the groups that led to the French Revolution. They called him the Rousseau of the Gutter. The guy who framed the term communism, he was uh, he believed in a worldview where he wanted to create a state run like a, like a brothel, like a whorehouse. His writings, I, I've read them, and God, I wish I didn't sometimes. He was the one of the dirtiest, most disgusting and disturbed individuals I have ever read anything by in my life. Um, he had he had a worldview based on or a universal view based based on animal sexuality. He was deranged like you wouldn't believe. The problem is these ideas have been so, you know, diluted and you know reinterpreted and so on that the original, ironically, religious nature of communism has been mostly forgotten. And these days, I think people are practicing what is actually a religion without realizing it's a religion. Communism is a religion, and it always was. Uh, but that element was forgotten mainly through rewriting by Karl Marx, because at the time you actually had debates between him and the Owenites, uh, which, of course, reframed the idea of communism as being atheist rather than religious. It was, it was mostly satanic prior to that. Anyways, wild stuff, folks. <laughs> Um, and take it from someone who's read most of their, not most, I've read a lot of their books. I've, I've read a lot of their books. Uh, Lou F., you're saying, can you tell us what is currently going on with the people in chi of China? Are there still protests and calls to get rid of the CCP president? What about the health and COVID situation? I haven't done much on China recently, although I probably should. Um, based, okay, look, the stuff happening in China defies logic. The stuff happening in China is crazy right now. The stuff happening in China goes against a lot of the public narratives and even against what the CCP is saying publicly. Based on what we're seeing in China, there are mass deaths. We're, we're thinking, based on just crunching the numbers, it's not, it's not implausible to say that maybe hundreds of millions of people have died in China at this point. Maybe maybe a few hundred million, ba just crunching numbers based on you know what you what would you call circumstantial evidence. It's not that far fetched. Uh, the CCP is frankly it looks like in its death throes. 
the CCP is not doing well at all. There are there are still mass protests, major incidents all across the country, and frankly, there have been for years. They just don't they don't get much public coverage. Um, the CCP is losing very quickly. As I mentioned before, the issue with the Chinese Communist Party is twofold. One, even though internally it's very weak, externally it has a lot of different financial ties. It controls people through you know financial interests. One of the concerning things about the CCP is that even though they're a communist country, they've assessed that material interest is the tool to control capitalist societies. And so they use money and business relationships and offers of power and so on, even supporting political campaigns as tools to gain, you know, basically uh, different power centers abroad. They do what they call leadership capture, business leaders, foreign politicians, academics, journalists, scientists, researchers, anybody of influence in other countries, investors, and foreign money, groups like BlackRock and so on, pouring into China has artificially sustained the CCP. Uh, the CCP is basically on foreign life support right now. It's foreign, foreign powers propping up the life of the Communist Party of China. And um, really, its powers are more external than internal. Internal, it's not doing well at all. The CCP is on the verge of collapse, if you, if you ask me. Um, I will give more, but again, that makes them in some ways even more dangerous. There, there really should be an, an international divorce from the CCP. The CCP would collapse very quickly, quickly were that to happen. I, I really believe this. Uh, James Dyson, you're saying when, and I'll do more, I'll cover this more as we go forward. Uh, James Dyson, you're saying when the origin of COVID is ultimately revealed, will people be held accountable around the world? China in particular, will it spark conflict throughout the world? Um, when the origin of the, of the virus is revealed, you're going to see, of course, a lot of public debates around this and politicians who've been bought off by the CCP and academics and scientists and journalists who are bought off by the CCP are going to desperately try to cover up and protect the CCP. You're going to watch a battle of ideas and the CCP is never going to, never going to concede on it. And then if we bow down to the WHO and so on, and they're frankly in the pocket of the CCP, um, they're going to be saying the opposite. So you're going to watch two different ideas come out. The CCP is never going to admit guilt. And because of the, the puppets of the CCP all around the world are going to be flapping their heads, um, you're, you're going to hear, you know, dueling arguments. And so they'll, they'll, they'll never concede. The bigger issue is when the CCP collapses. When the CCP collapses, there's going to be a global holding to account. And business leaders politicians, academics, actors, sports stars, everybody who has worked with the CCP is going to be held accountable for slavery, for genocide, for live organ harvesting, for the covering up of major human rights abuses. The Chinese people, I sincerely believe, are going to demand justice. There's going to be probably tribunals in China, and people globally are going to be held accountable for it. Um, and I believe Probably this is one of the reasons why there are international powers that don't want the CCP to collapse. They're afraid of the CCP collapsing uh, because a lot of them have blood on their hands. Just just being blunt. Judith, uh, Judith Jakim or Judith Yakim, I always try to get it right. You're saying there is no such thing as free 
if there is a global body telling you what to do. Yeah, absolutely true. One of the one of the one of the ironies of the narrative of freedom, right? That you know, basically, if your life is being dictated to, to the most you know granular level, right? If your life is being dictated, are you free? If you, for example, work a let, let's put it this way: How do we define slavery? What defines a slave? It's a person who works, but is not able to get the fruits of their labor. They are denied the fruits of their labor. You could say that deeper types of slavery would include the dictating of how you spend your life, the course of your life, that limit your freedoms and so on to various extents. If you understand that people work and are not allowed to have the fruits of their labor, to what degree do you have to have your wealth taken from you that you are called a slave? Because there's, you know, indentured servants, you can work and basically have a home and a place to stay and food on your plate. To what extent do you have to seize a person's wealth to, to call them a slave? Hypothetical question there. But look at, look at societies around the world and how many people live paycheck to paycheck and how many people work while, have, while being denied the fruits of their labor. Remember, the American system was based on the idea of freedom. Even income tax here was not, did not exist until very recently, folks. Income tax is a new thing. America was a nation built on the idea of freedom. And that meant financial freedom as well. Symphonic Ellen, you're saying only one, only problem is we might too. We have to, we have so much manufactured there in China. <clears throat> well, the interesting thing with the United States, I would say a few different things on this. One is there is at least beginning now a decoupling from the CCP on the manufacturing base. Uh, part of that is just companies themselves finding that this, the regulations are becoming too strict. The financial benefits of manufacturing in China are starting to fade away, not just because of international pressure and sanctions, but because also of the CCP's own policies, which have become a lot more totalitarian, even against foreign businesses. It's becoming easier to manufacture in Vietnam, easier to manufacture in Mexico, and so on and so on and so on, India and so on. Uh, the benefits of cheap manufacturing in China, which is what it used to represent, are, are beginning to fade. The CCP was trying to transition to a high-tech economy. But interesting move on Biden. Um, you know, he's banned semiconductors from China. And the lack of semiconductors kills the high-tech industry, which means they don't have the high-tech industry. They're being denied it now. And they're also losing the manufacturing base. It's an interesting development. Um, they are trying to build up American manufacturing. That's one of the big things Biden is talking about. Kudos to him if he can do it. You know, I, I hope he can do it. I, I do hope we do have American manufacturing return. He's at the very least talking about it, and we'll see how it goes. Um, but it, this is important. Aside, aside from the manufacturing, though, you also have the, the issue that um, uh, there are a lot of people individually invested in, tied to, and financially have interest in the success of the CCP. And so there are investors, for example, who will try to try to prevent regulation that damages the financial well-being of the Chinese Communist Party. And there are companies that lobby on behalf of the Chinese Communist Party to the American government. And uh, this is known, in fact. Uh, in my opinion, if a business lobbies our government on behalf of the CCP, which, we, which, do, which does happen and they do it openly, 
they should be called foreign agents of the Chinese Communist Party. These companies should be forced to register under FARA, the Foreign Agents Registration Act, as foreign agents of the Chinese Communist Party because they are lobbying our government on behalf of a foreign power. Last question, and then we'll end it here. Nikki, Bob, you're saying, how many organizations do they need inside existing organizations? I don't know the context of what you're talking about, unfortunately. Um, you're saying, how many organizations do they, oh, I get it. How many organizations do they need inside existing organizations? You're talking about the World Health Organization. Um, well, you know, that that's the way that the regulatory state works, sorry, the administrative state works. You cre this And this is how our government bypasses the legislative process, ironically bypasses the basic way that our government functions, or at least constitutionally is supposed to function. They create new governing bodies, right? If you saw, for example, the new regulations on managing home gardens, if you have a, if you're growing food in your backyard, they have a voluntary program where you can register your own home garden. People wondered why that mattered. My concern with is this, is that it's a first step. It creates a governing body. A governing body then begins creating regulations. And through the regulatory state, the administrative state begins expanding its powers and its reach. It grows like a seed planted in the ground. It begins developing powers over things that it was never originally given. That's the way the administrative state works, or you call the deep state. That's what Trump wants to get rid of, actually. So we'll see how it goes, folks. That said, folks, thank you so much for being here. Tune in tomorrow. I'll be going in-depth on the January 6th videos being released by Tucker Carlson. We're going to have Joe Hanneman on. We'll talk maybe a little about our new documentary, or Joe's new documentary coming out on J6. Interesting stuff in the works, folks. That said, please share this video. Help us get the word out. Um, it's all grassroots here. And that said, folks, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate all of you. And please take care of yourselves, stay informed, and stay free. Thank you. In every country, communism gains power. Authoritarianism and death followed in its wake. Communism promises a world without suffering. And yet, in its execution, does the exact opposite. Following Lenin's death, Stalin's 29-year reign killed an estimated 60 to 66 million people. More famine and purges would occur. The very peasants that communism was supposed to benefit instead starved to death under its rule. The party dictates what is right and wrong. Mao ended up killing between 50 million and 70 million people. As an investigative journalist, I want to understand why.